0: So we're in the series, The New You in Ephesians, and and we've seen the first three chapters were set forth a theme about bringing heaven to earth, but the last three chapters really talk about putting heaven in us. I'm struck there was a eulogy given of a great Christian man, and these words struck me. They said, heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. And you know what, that has to be true of every Christian that heaven comes down and sets up its operational headquarters in us and Jesus is Lord and we are a colony of heaven on earth just in our individual life. Uh, And yeah, it's corporate in Ephesians because he wants this body of Christ that now has been set up through the grace of Christ to demonstrate who Jesus is. And we're looking at chapter four and it is about the fact that um, as we go about that, the Bible's very realistic that there is a part of us that we carry with us that is our old self. He says that we need to put that off, but it's, all, it's always with us, and it is, it is conducting a kind of guerrilla warfare after the victory has already been waged by Christ to be a shadow self that in, in, insinuates itself and inserts itself uh, as we try to live this Christian life. It is the drag of the Christian life, and it is, it is a reality, and so, uh, it, the word that we looked at last week was to continually be putting off that old self, but to put on and then to be putting on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, uh, here's one of the great graces of this, don't be discouraged by the fact that you have a battle going on. (laughs) Because if you weren't uh, a believer, you might not have that battle going on at all. You would just have the shadow self, the old self speaking to you and you wouldn't have the contradictions arising. And this morning we're looking at the topic of anger uh, and what to do uh, with our anger. Uh, And uh, this is the operative verse, we'll begin at verse 26. I think I need you to control these uh, as we go through to go to the end of the chapter, verse 26 to the end of chapter four of Ephesians. Uh, Then they all relate to our anger. And one thing you're gonna see here is almost an apparent contradiction And I'll break this out and hopefully make this understandable. Because he says, first of all, um, in your anger, do not sin. So he's saying, anger is not always sinful. And that sometimes it's a righteous force. And then, near the end of this passage, he says, put all your anger away. Um, I'll just say, for most of my life, I understood the second part as my main task. As a good Midwesterner, I was like the ones that Garrison Keillor said, when you go to New York City, they'd say, bring out the roadkill. The Midwesterners are here. They will not get angry. They will not complain. You know, it's just part of that, right? Do you know that? <laughs> uh, that kind of temperament. it's like anger is the problem. Don't don't show. And then I married an Italian. <laughs> so, um, and really not so much her because she has a very docile sweet spirit, thank God. <laughs> but her family, oh my goodness, right? Uh, and, and so, some people understand that, hey, anger's a passion. Get it out. Get it on the table. Get healthy. And, and other people are like, oh, anger. No, we don't even acknowledge we're anger. And neither approach is the right approach, which is why we have both of these in this text and to see how they come together uh, in the cross of Christ. So beginning at verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let us pray. Father, enable us to hear and receive. You you are the perfect counselor. You understand us and we ask, Lord, that you would, you would impart grace to us, that you would impart self-understanding. Lord, we often don't understand ourselves, um, but you bring both a knowledge of yourself and a knowledge of ourselves in such a gracious way through Christ, and we would welcome that this morning, that we would leave her different, wiser, more hopeful, more energized, because we've been in your presence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Like I said, I was raised where it was like bad to acknowledge that you were angry. It wasn't something, I I didn't hear people normally, the idea with anger, what you did is you suppressed it, you denied it. Uh, you lived as if it wasn't really going on, and so kind of the dynamic of like, you know, what's wrong, you know, and you you would just compose like, nothing, you know, um, nothing's wrong at all. Uh, I'm certainly not angered by anything, and uh, and that is a a sub Christian way of understanding the emotion of anger. But I remember as a teen, I actually was at a music. Camp with a really uh, committed group of musicians for the first time. I went to high school where it was all sports, 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 and I was more music, music, music. Yeah, I was the music nerd, kind of. And um, nobody ever had a lot of passion for music. I mean, the band could get to the point where they could barely. Play the school song. Nobody cared. But if the football team lost a game, there'd be like, "Fire the coach!" You know, and anger, right? And so I was at this. I was at this conference, and I was so inspired because the conductor threw a conniption fit on the platform as he rehearsed the band, and I left. I was like the conductor got angry about something. It was so refreshing. He actually, he actually took his baton, broke it into three or four pieces, threw it at the ground, and went back to the timpani section and showed them how to do a timpani roll and said it has to be this way. But he did it in such a way that swept us all up into the inspiration of trying to make great music. And his anger gave me hope because I finally was under the leadership of somebody who cared about doing something wonderful with music and and i submit to you that in this passage there is a recognition that anger is something that we we deal with wrongly if we just say i need to say goodbye to all anger i need to get rid of it i need to suppress it i need to deny it because anger is actually a fuel and an energy in god's economy for hope it's It's a dangerous one because our old self that we carry with us will attach itself onto it and use it for rage, for malice, for all of these toxic influences. But the first point I wanna make is that we need to say hello to our anger. We don't need to just dismiss it. For years, what I did when anger would arise, I would just try to say, well, that's not good, I'm getting angry, I should say farewell to it. No, we need to say hello to it. And we need to say hello to it in these ways in Christ to say, what am I getting angry about? What is it worthy? What is it revealing about what is functioning and reigning in my heart as, as something that is important? So we need to say hello to it. Um, it was uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe who said that until you, a person has learned to be angry, they have not learned to be good. You, there are things that do call us uh, to a righteous kind of anger. Now, uh, most of the anger, I would I would. Estimate, estimate, certainly in my life, uh, is not purely righteous. But if there is no anger, if there's no ability to get angry or passionate about anything, we will be passive in the face of evil. Uh, and so we find, of course, the perfect manifestation of anger in our God. Um, Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous God, and therefore he has anger every day. And that anger is, is kind of like that conductor who, you know, for much trivial, more trivial reasons, was angry about an out-of-tune band and an inattentive percussion section and all that. But because God is righteous, anger is his settled opposition to everything that mars that which he loves and is endowed with his dignity. Um, The the very word indignation has the word dignity within it. And, And it is right to be, to have indignation when that when dignity is being attacked particularly human dignity and the reality is what what sin does ultimately because and what the accuser and the tempter does because he can't directly assault God is he wants to attack the image bearers right Uh, and so it is when that attack goes on that marring that sin in our world it is right for something to rise up within us and simply say this is not the way it's supposed to be uh, without anger, we we just kind of languish into that. And we find anger in the life of Jesus. We don't find it as a predominant emotion. And we never find anger causing Jesus to attack um, what you might say are the indignifiers, the people who are purporting this. But we find Jesus had this incredible ability <laughs> to be only purely and perfectly angry, never um, tainted by what you might call self-righteous indignation where my indignation flows beyond being upset about what is attacking the dignity of people and attacking the dignity in the people <laughs> who are bringing the indignity. Uh, one counselor said this, "Is when when your anger is a, a noun, when it is a thing, again, you, you can interrogate it and separate it. But when your anger becomes a verb, you're moving to be motivated by rage. And so he is saying, anger is this force, it is a fuel. Um, and he says, go ahead and be angry, <laughs> but interrogate it. And I think what he's, what he's mentally saying, when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, he's just saying, don't just, don't just let it passively settle in. Because when anger goes underground, uh, it becomes toxic and and it leeches out in toxic ways. Uh, and, and so, um, again, anger is this force. Anger is not the opposite of love. I think functionally, I at least thought that in much of my upbringing. Anger is the opposite of love. If you're angry with someone, no, hate is the opposite of love. And, and the, formal, the final form of hatred is an indifference which is unable to be angry. Um, Rebecca Pippert, great evangelist, um, said this, she says, the more a father loves his son, the more he is angry at the drunkard, the liar, and the traitor in his son. And she says, if I, a flawed self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more can a morally perfect God who created and loves them with a perfect love? And so anger, is a, it's an energy to conjure, it's, um, but to be careful with. I mean, when I am angry, I wrote, write the most eloquent emails that I will ever live to regret. <laughs> How many of you are ever thankful, like, that you did not send, <laughs> you know? And if you did send, you know, that you like panic, like, oh, can I get hold of that person's laptop and erase it before they receive it? Can I, you know, like, like anger is, it's a dangerous force, but if, if it's also dangerous to not have any anger. And we are not called, when we become Christians, when we give ourselves to Christ and we're being renewed in our inner core of personality, um, that is not like a lobotomy of passions. Uh, And it is not an eradication of all those instincts. It's much more complicated than that. Uh, And the reality is that to receive Jesus Christ may take a person who is afraid of anger and actually teach them anger. So that's the first point is that Say hello to your anger. Ask yourself, what am I angry about? Um, Interrogate the part that is self-righteous anger or is angry about our own little kingdom. Here's the reality. Most of the reasons we're angry is, most of the reasons I'm angry is that the kingdom of Bob is being violated. The kingdom of my own convenience, my own plans. my own aspirations, the things that I've set up. And that is a self-oriented anger. When Christ comes in, he gives, he expands uh, and he ennobles what we were concerned about. Uh, and and gives us the ability to, in some ways, no longer care about the petty things that often drive people into indignation. Uh, so that's the first point. Say hello to your anger. Interrogate your anger. Um, with the sun not going down on your anger, I know as a common kind of newlywed counsel right to not let the day end with the distance there, I, you know I would just give the caveat that we found as newlyweds that it was often was good. all we needed to do is say hey we don 't need to discuss this to the ends now we 're both tired why don 't we take a walk tomorrow or uh, on our next opportunity, and we will settle this thing but but it is important again not to deny angry anger, repress it, uh, but it 's telling us something it 's like the you know, the idiot light on our dashboard <laughs> that lights up and maybe it says low oil or whatever, <laughs> the way to deal with that is not to just drive and turn up the music, <laughs> you know, roll the windows down, turn up the music, and uh, well, you're not gonna roll your windows down in this weather, but, but ignore it, right? But you've gotta pay attention to it. It's there for a reason, and it's there to alert you to something fallen in you or other people or your circumstances, or your, maybe your read on something is wrong. Uh, and, and so that's the first point. The second point is, uh, beware of the hiddenness of your anger, though. And, and um, we we find this, again, when we don't want to acknowledge it, explain it, or or let it do its work. Uh, one biblical example we find of this is Cain and Abel. The first murder um, was in the next generation out of Adam and Eve, and it was Cain and Abel. And we find God coming uh, to Cain after he had murdered Abel. And he, he said to him, uh, he, he, was, he was coming to him and says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to master you. And it was a description of his anger. Ang- anger hides. Um, in our backyard, we often had raspberry bushes and we would have uh, these neighborhood cats come. And I appreciated with them because they they would hide, and they had an incredible adeptness at catching voles and mice and other things, but it would it would just amaze me how they they could make themselves almost imperceptible and crouch when they were at a point and then spring into action and God here counsels and he warns Abel about what happens to anger when anger goes underground when we're not bringing it out into the light, and he says it 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 crouches and then it will spring and it will cause great problem. And Jesus warned about anger in this way also. He said, um, he said anger doesn't simply lead to murder, although generally it does, generally murder is preceded by committing homicide in the heart, but anger is a form of murder. And Jesus said, catch it when you start to call someone a demeaning name. He says, if you call someone a fool, literally, uh, the Greek word was moron. When, you, when you're ready to call someone a moron, when you're ready to uh, deny that they are an image bearer, then you're in dangerous, dangerous territory. Uh, and that is the, uh, the nursery for the kind of hostility that comes out in murder. And it can hide in us. Um, Leonardo da Vinci painted the famous painting of of the Last Supper. And as he was painting it, uh, and I believe this happened to him imperceptibly as he painted Judas. um, He painted Judas with the face of a person that he despised. And the Lord gave him enough knowledge of his own heart that he realized he could not proceed to paint the face of Jesus. While he was still painting Judas with the face of his enemy. He didn't even know this was going on in his own heart until he actually did it. And then he's like, oh my Lord, what have I done? And he was unable, as an artist, to even, you know, an artist's depiction of the face of Jesus while this was going on in his own heart. And I'm like, oh Lord, I want that kind of sensitivity. I want that sensitivity, and and in our passage, and we're going to break this passage down in future weeks. But it you know it moves from anger uh, that is we need to pay attention to to anger we need to put off to then forgiveness. Our anger can often tell us who we want to forgive, who we need to forgive. Um, again, it's very easy to live in denial about forgiveness, and say, well, oh, no, I'm not really ticked off at anybody. Uh, I'm not aware of it because anybody who slightly ticks me off. Um, I kind of brush off to the side and then I don't deal with them anymore and then I don't really want to look at them. I find myself, you know, wanting to sit in a different place or be in a different part of the neighborhood or, you know, even enter the church doors in a different place or whatever. I, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, and and so when we trace our anger that we have buried, we'll often find a person who we need to manifest forgiveness toward. Um, you know, when we... You know, in the spotlight of our culture, right, is um, Prince Harry and Meghan and in his, and his book and, their, you know, and, and all of this that's going on. And I think that uh, there is something in all of us that would love to write a tell-all book about all of the woes and ways that we have been hurt, right? Um, and the reason we would like to do that is we would like to embarrass certain people with how they have misbehaved. For most of us, if you live long enough and deep enough, there will be at least, you could write a short book, some of us could write a long book about that. And if you interrogate and ask yourself, who would I like to embarrass? I don't know whether that's hitting anybody. Who would I like to embarrass? Who would I like to expose? Who would I like to really call out for the way that they have failed? That will often lead you to the person who you need to forgive. (laughs) And and this is the way that anger is, is buried. And, and when we bring it out into the light, when God brings it out into the light, it's an opportunity. Uh, there's a William Blake poem that goes like this, it's very short. He says, I was angry with my friend. I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath. My wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not. My wrath did grow. There is something just of being able to say, I'm angry. This is This is kind of the in... The internal discipline, we actually deal with this in the course Deeply Formed Life, which we're gonna be doing at Cal. The internal interior examination that simply ask yourself every day at the end of the day, what made me happy, sad, glad, anxious? Where did those thoughts go? Uh, be, because as we bring those out into the light, that's how the light gets into us. So, um, where the hiddenness recognize that when we pump our anger underground, it has a kind of half-life, it will eventually come out. And again, anger opens the doors. Um, Anger generally um, loosens up our inhibitions. And sometimes that can be righteous because we're too inhibited maybe about dealing with something. But most of the time when our inhibitions are, are loosened, uh, because we generally are living in the kingdom of ourselves, then we deploy artillery that that is not helpful. Uh, and and again, the the higher that relationship and energy, the more we can we can often do real damage. And so we've got to watch out for the fact that, you know, we probably all know people who are just kind of a walking landmine. <laughs> You can imagine, like they're, they're portable, mobile landmines, and everywhere they go, there's disruption of relationships. And um, when we try to intervene and explain something to them, they say, "Well, I'm just a very honest person, right?" Have you heard that? You know someone like that? Just this, there's like there's division and wreckage of relationships all around. It. And they say, "I'm just a very honest person." And the problem with that orientation, that kind of person, and the fruit that is the lack of fruit rather that is all around them is that. Anger has led them, not to just honesty, but to a harsh honesty that absolutely clobbers people. Um, Proverbs, James, many places are full of places that say be slow to speak, be be quick to listen, be slow to become angry, and often, um, the first time a situation arises, we're in that irritated state, we haven't had time to interrogate our anger, we haven't been able to bring it out to the Lord. Um, Because again, to be angry for the right reason, at the right situation, to the right degree, and to manifest it in the right way, that is the challenge. And only Jesus was perfectly and always only composed in, in his inner being in that way. Uh, and, and so be careful if you're tempted to say, oh, I, I don't have a temper, I just have quick reflexes and discernment for responding to idiots. Um, you know, that is a warning sign. That is a warning sign. Um, anger uh, and and self-righteous indignation, when it spills over to the indignifier again, right? Um, uh, it, it becomes a campaign about people who are just, you know, dimmer bulbs than me. That is dangerous ground. But there can still be in that kernel something you are perceiving and, 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 you, and God is calling you to speak to that. Nobody does that perfectly. Uh, but that, that is part of the challenge. In the midst of our world today, there's probably nothing more relevant than to talk about anger because it seems like we are being goaded and tempted and marketed to be angry about stuff um, by so many forces in our world. We know that the algorithms of social media, right? uh, Because it's a for-profit business, they know that if they can make us angry uh, about something, then we will read on, we will click, we will stay. Uh, and so much of what shows up in our social media feeds, even if it is an echo chamber, our social media feeds an echo chamber, we are being um, we are being seduced. We are being um, shaped into something that is not Christ formed. Uh, and it's it's well known that if we they can get us mad or scared, About something, then we will read on, and then we will create a complete enemy of the opposite side, and we will isolate ourselves in a little silo. And what happens when you're in an echo chamber? You have got to speak more loudly to get attention, right? And so we're living in a time in our country, and there have been other times in our country, but we're living in a time where where this is a major, major force. And I would just say, I'm not, I'm grieved about that as an American, and you should be too. But what really grieves me. And what what I think when I talk to other pastors, what really is a grief is when those categories come into the church. And they are over temporary secular politics or political solutions and those who claim to care about them, Um, and we bring that into church fellowship. And there's there's probably been no um, issue that has been more divisive than the issue of some of the racial healing and the racial injustice in our country. That has been a major source, and this is an issue where I'd say, for the white church generally, there has been a lack of being able to be angry about the indignation in a righteous way that has been going on, especially from African-American people brought here against their will, served with jobs against their will for hundreds of years, and continued to see slavery morph into uh, oppression, and. Uh, Jim Crow and all of these other things. And when it's been tried to be addressed, one of the things that has been remarkable is often when it's addressed in white churches, there is a lashback. And, and I would say Ephesians 4 explains the lashback to me. It's the old self who is very fragile at ever being confronted with anything that needs to be improved. And when our old self is confronted with something that it doesn't want to hear, it gets very brittle and very angry. (laughs) You you can generally, if you wanna find where your old self is talking to you, um, find the things that trigger you into anger. Um, And we all have, we have our triggers. Good marriages, with any kind of depth, recognize where there's a trigger, right? And the trigger is part of our reality, it's part of our biography, right? It's what Pete Cesar often would say this, he's a pastor in Queens, he'd say, um, yes, Jesus lives in your heart, but your grandfather lives in your bones, in your DNA. (laughs) Your family of origin, the way you were raised, not raised, right? It will be very hard for me to my false self when I'm tired, whatever, to not wanna just cling to a fake peace. That is gonna be my mode of action. That's not a good, that's not healthy. Um, so um, when these issues have been brought up in the church they often lead to further division and there's, there's not been the kind of righteous Christ-like response in this I just ran across a, a book uh, in this past week that I think has so much promise in the equation and it's a book called Dear White Peacemaker already a little bit of a provocative title um, by Oshita Moore And uh, Ashita Moore has worked in racial reconciliation issues and she writes this. She says, this book is a breakup letter to division, a love letter to God's beloved community, and an eviction notice to the violent powers that have sustained racism for centuries. And she shares in this book, and one thing I I love about this book is she says she has learned, and she took some flack from this, I think, from her own community, but she, she has learned that she doesn't call people who espouse racist ideas, racist. She says she calls them, uh, she says, I think you are speaking of some things that I think are racist ideas, but she will not call them racist because she is seeking to separate the cause of their offense um, from them. And, and so she says one of her techniques in, in doing this is that she will be, when she's in the public sphere or in, sphere or in other places, where controversy is heard, and she is is experiencing racism, she will think of people uh, as smaller infant, uh, smaller forms of image bearer. For instance, um, let's see, if we get this first image up here. My, did you get it? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, it's hard to be angry at this person, right? Um, the, anybody know who it is? Um, it's Bill Gates, it's Bill Gates. So if you're, if you're angry, if you think, well, I got 4G when I got my vaccine, and now I'm good, you know, I don't need an iPhone. Um, Bill Gates, put up, put up the next one. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, great unifiers of our country. Um, <laughs> it's hard to be angry at them when you look at them as image bearers, right? See if you get the next one. Joe Biden. And the next one. Kamala Harris. Now, these are image bearers, right? And for some reason, when we look at them as diminutive image bearers, there's something that is helpful in that. Uh, On this Martin Luther King weekend, um, I, I spent a lot of time just listening and in, because it was so relevant to this text about be angry and sin not to discourses of Dr. Martin Luther King. And one of the things I, I heard in some introductions, like pr- probably the most eloquent orator maybe in world history, but certainly in American history. But one of the things that, um, Martin Luther King has been a companion of mine for years um, listening to the recorded sermons. And one of the things that I discovered is he said that every year, he forced himself to preach a sermon on loving your enemies. And he said the reason he did that is because what caused him to win the Nobel Peace Prize and what caused him to be so unique is that uh, when he won the Nobel Peace Prize, history had never seen a person who had joined a movement for change and lifting injustice who was completely tied to love for enemies. Uh, and, and and he said, and, and I want to play you a clip where he says, I would rather die than hate you to the white people of Montgomery, Alabama. Um, we have friends who uh, grew up around the King family, uh, friends whose, whose father was one of the pastors in Montgomery with him. And they said, before the marches against injustice, they would gather for a whole day of prayer and worship and singing and training and, and even almost, almost simulating to the point of being hit on the head with a baton or having dogs come after you uh, to say, this is your test where you will love your enemy. Um, and that did not come easily to Dr. King. I think mean, we tend to think like you know, these like Mother Teresa never struggled with you know, wanting a life of, of ease and comfort. No, that's not true, read biographies. Um, or that Martin Luther King never struggled with anger. No, that's not true. He struggled mightily against anger. He said that when he was a, a child with his dad, who was also a preacher of the gospel, they were in a store, his dad was made to go to the back to be waited on and his dog. dad walked out of that store and, and that his dad later said that was a temptation in which he was tempted to be angry with white people for the rest of his life. The, the source of actual, that change is the, is, is the ability to separate um, our anger from the image bearer who, who is the occasion of that anger. Uh, and if we don't learn to do that, we will be defeated in all these, all these ways. But as a smart Luther King, we can let just let just listen to his own words uh, in uh, a sermon he gave and some images that join that sermon. So,
1: so Jesus says, "Love," because hate destroys the hater as well as the hated. Now that is the final reason I think that Jesus says, "Love your enemies." It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And that is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, You will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people and keep loving them, even though they are mistreating you. Here's a person who is a neighbor and this person is doing something wrong to you and all of that. Just keep being friendly to that person. Keep loving them. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them and they can't stand it too long oh they react in many ways in the beginning they react with bitterness because they're mad because you love them like that they react with guilt feelings and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period but just hear love. and by the power of your love they will break down under the load that's love you see it is redemptive and this is why jesus says love there's something about love that builds up and creative, there is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. And I'm proud to stand here in Dexter this morning and say that that army is still marching. It grew up from a group of 11 or 12 men to more than 700 million today. Because of the power and influence of the personality of this Christ, he was able to split history into A.D. and B.C. Because of his power, he was able to shake the hinges from the gates of the Roman Empire. And all around the world this morning, we can hear the glad echo of heaven ring. Jesus shall reign wherever some, doth his successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore. The moon shall wane and wax no more. We can hear another chorus singing, All hell the power of Jesus' name. We can hear another chorus singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, he's king of kings and lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. We can hear another choir singing, in Christ there is no east or west, in him no north or south, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide world, this is the only way, that love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. So this morning, as I look into your eyes, and into the eyes of all my brothers in Alabama and all over America and over the world, I say to you, I love you, I would rather die than hate you, and I am foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, men of the most recalcitrant bent will be transformed. Then we will be in God's kingdom. We will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we had the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons that cursed us, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us, and we even pray for those persons who despitefully used
0: us. Oh, God. powerful. Okay, from the greatest order in history, back to me, pay attention. (laughs) Um, So how did he do it? How did he make this surgical strike on his anger and still be such a force? It it wasn't that he, you know, nonviolence is still powerful resistance, but it's the resistance that love brings. He got arrested 29 times. That's not nothing. That's doing something with his anger that put him on the other side of injustice. But how could he do that? And it was ultimately the way we, In Jesus Christ, do it is there, God has made the ultimate surgical strike through his anger against our sin. Um, Jesus on the cross not only took our anger, which he did not deserve, he became both the object of our anger, which he did not deserve, uh, he also took care of the anger that we um, deserved without paying back his greatest word Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, removed. the objects who were bringing the destruction of the cross to one who never should have deserved any suffering. And and so he was able to do that at the same time by the very mechanism of the cross where God separated the sin from the offender and restored us to pardon. This is cruciform love. This is Jesus' love that is able to separate and in a sense paint the blood of Christ over our anger, get rid of it, deal with it, but not ignore it. And there is, there's a great struggle in our life when we have to love someone like that that will ultimately tell the difference of, of how useful our relationship will be. Um, our kids were pretty good teenagers. So I can't really say it was our main challenge, but um, Tim Keller shares in a sermon that uh, when your child is a teen, you're often confronted with uh, a great opportunity for either anger that's destructive or anger that's redemptive. And he says it comes about when that child who you know, transformed your marriage from a date into a marriage um, and begins to say things like, I hate you, I can't stand you, or whatever. You have three choices as a, as a parent. You can either join them in the diatribe of, of verbal abuse, um, I hate you, and, and you'll be better at it, he says, because you have decades of training in verbal abuse, so you can win that battle Um, but absolutely lose your team. Secondly, you can simply as a parent, wash your hands of the situation like we often do with difficult relationships where there's an argument and just distance yourself and say, well, I'm just gonna give them a lot of space and I'm gonna retreat into the foreground as a parent, as a counselor. Or you can do the cross-shaped thing. You can make a surgical attack on the anger and you can say no, Here is why I care. Here's why this has to be this way. Here's where this has to go. Um, uh, And and continue to pursue them um, redemptively, taking a surgical strike at the things that are not righteous in their anger, but also sympathizing them with some of the upheaval in their life. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. That is what the Father did for us. He separated our unrighteous anger. He bore it. Himself and he continued to love us through it. And we're not safe for anger of any kind until we've realized the love of Christ to us, until we've been able to see the love of Christ painted over our own unrighteous anger, until we see ourselves primarily as the conveyors of unrighteousness, not as those who are recipients. You know, it's, it's a very dangerous place when we think, I've got a lot of things I, have, I would have to forgive people of where we have more of a sense of the things we need to forgive others of is greater on the scale than the things that we need to be forgiven of. We're not safe for relationships until that has come home to us. But it's when Christ's love has melted our heart and broken us down and made us sorry for the one who has offended us that it's at that point that we can move forward. Um, the great, um, really, writer and hero, Cory ten Boom, who died in the last century, lost family members for aiding Jews in the midst of the Holocaust. And she was famous for going around the United States. In fact, one of her books is called Tramp for the Lord, um, speaking about that time where literally they were housing Jews underneath their dining room table and the Nazis would come into their house and they would protect those who they were harboring. And in one of her talks on forgiveness, she says that she quickly and in a panicked way recognized the face of a man who approached her. And he was one of the very guards in the Nazi concentration camp where she was forced to live in a room where she was flea bitten and lice was multiplying. There was inadequate nutrition, people died. And this man came forward and asked her if she could possibly forgive him. she says that was the, the test of her life, the test of her mettle, could she, who proclaimed that forgiveness and she proclaimed that the only way she could do that is that she recognized that forgiveness that she had received through Jesus Christ, that no longer could there be a place in the heart who would receive that kind of infinite forgiveness for any malice any ill will of any kind and she said it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing primarily a feeling she said that forgiveness was like the pulling of a rope where there is a bell where, where first it's 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 an act of of the will to to ring that bell but then the reverberations of the grudges and the hurt became weaker and weaker as she dwelt upon the forgiveness she'd received in christ when we live in that way then we can say hello to our anger and interrogate it. We can beware of what's toxic in our anger and we can be a force that lifts the cause of injustice and of righteousness off of others and we can live in a way that will cause the world to marvel because it is the way of Jesus. Uh, We're gonna close with a song, uh, it's really rooted in a hymn, I Need You. And I'm gonna invite you to bring whatever is a challenge in your relationship or a challenge in the theater of your own heart to God. It may be an anger that you have silenced and not been willing to pursue or listen to that God would want you to pay attention to. Uh, It may be a relationship that you have made a disposable relationship that through the infinite merit of Christ, he, he would not want you to dispose of that relationship. It may simply be wanting to to bring you to a place of of exposing this to the Lord. And I'm I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, at that point, in the song, especially as we end it at the end, if you'd like to come forward. We're going to have prayers who so come forward at the front. But we've also got our kneeling benches here. If you just want to silently seek the Lord, you don't want to need another human counselor. You just are bringing this to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm going to look for you to bring the next step. We have kneeling benches here. You may just want to quietly kneel there or kneel along the base of this platform and seek the Lord as we close out. But let, let me pray. Lord, together we approach you and we marvel at the life and love of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that receiving the power of his forgiveness we might become forces that heal the schism and division that is at work in so much around us. We pray, Lord, that we would welcome you to come into the theater of our own conflicted souls, Lord so that we can be reshaped and remade through the cross of Christ. And we thank you that though you were angry with our sin, Lord, your anger was turned away from us because you loved us. And you sought for that anger to be a force of redemption all the way to the cross, where that anger was satisfied and poured out once for all. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
2: rise as we
0: to close our service in that way and I just want to encourage you not to carry unresolved anger or issues out of here but to make sure you've released them to the Lord again if you'd like to come forward invite our prayers to come forward or just even sit where you are and just pray through something so that you feel that burden lifted up and I want to pronounce a benediction over all of you and I invite you to receive this with an open heart you may want to open your hands out or lift up your eyes and receive this uh, as we bring our whole lives before the Lord. From 1 Thessalonians 5, now may the God of peace sanctify you, make you like Jesus through and through. Body, soul, and spirit, may he do this. Faithful is the one who calls us, and he will bring it to pass through Jesus Christ our Lord. And together God's people said, amen. amen.
2: Jesus, you're my
3: that washes the fear away There is a peace that settles around us It is your love that sets our hearts ablaze There is a light that burns in the darkness There is a hope that while she is a fear away, there is a peace that settles around us, it is your love that sets our hearts ablaze, Father we're on our knees, with every heart offering. Lord, come and fill this place. Father, we're crying out. Spirit, we need you now. Glorious love surrounds us. Lord, come and fill this place. a king who reigns in victory there is a mercy strong enough to save.